0: Hello, it is 18th of December 2017 and this is episode 53 of Scammer's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So this is going to be our first semi-coherent podcast about <laughs> The Last Jedi, because <laughs> the last time we podcasted about The Last Jedi was around midnight uk time on friday and i really needed to sleep i did not go to the midnight showing of the last jedi by the way and this is why because i just can't i cannot function at that time um but yeah i was massively sleep deprived and do you say everyone else was a bit tipsy Kirsty?
1: yeah we had been drinking (laughs) and we were all very excited and just kind of of giving first thoughts right which is kind of the point of those podcasts but because of that everyone's kind of talking at the same time and it gets a bit chaotic but hopefully that was still kind of fun for people to listen to
0: yeah i think that's like the whole point of that sort of thing like you say reaction podcasts are just meant to be like all giddy and like oh my gosh it's so amazing hopefully obviously if the thing <laughs> is bad then it would be a bit more depressing it'd be like oh well, that was a bit of an anti-climax <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we know, we've heard lots about how divisive the film has been. Mm. Um, we'll probably get into that in a bit more, but, uh, a bit later. But I haven't so far listened to any podcasts from people who were unhappy with the movie.
0: Yeah. And I, and I don't
1: know if I want to. I don't want to ruin it for myself by kind of indulging in that negativity. So
0: Yeah. No, trust me, it's not worth it. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I said Take like, it, you have then.
0: Well, that's the thing, I haven't really. I've listened to reactions from people. Like, lots of different reactions. Uh, I think I get mildly irritated because sometimes I listen to reactions and I feel like they missed such massive aspects of the movie that I find it very frustrating. But that is what I need to let go. I need to let go of the fact that other people, they're just not going to see the same things that I am, and that's okay, and that we all just need to move forward and be happy on our own terms as Star Wars fans with different reads and everything. Um, So, yeah, but... Enough of that, because I'm sure people are listening to hear about our experiences with the movie and what we think about it. Because, of course, that's fundamentally fascinating, isn't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So let's start off with how many times we've seen the movie. How many times have you seen the movie, Kirsty?
1: Four so far. Snap. Um, Four. (laughs) four. (laughs) Which feels like a lot. Um, Mm. I'm not seeing it again for a few days. I have tickets to see it with a friend on Wednesday, but... I'm going to take a step back for a few days and kind of let it settle. Because it's been great watching it so many times because there's so much to take in and I feel like I have a different experience every time and I can focus on different aspects of the story and the characters and everything. But it's a bit overwhelming as well. Yeah, There's just so much going on.
0: Yeah, Um. so I think I last saw it on Friday and today's Monday. So I have had that little break now and now I kind of just really want to see it again. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which is great because obviously it's just about being really passionate and excited about the movie um and yeah it makes me so happy i have a movie theater subscription so i don't need to pay for it yay (laughs) so it's good i'm getting very effective use out of my past um but yeah
1: I... i think it's the kind of movie that's designed to be watched over and over oh yeah there's so much
0: totally like I expect you feel the same but I know that every single time I've seen it I've always found something new in it I've got new layers from it and I love that yeah
1: definitely I was just talking to you before the show that um when we started our podcast it was kind of was it maybe like 10 months out from the Force Awakens that we like after yeah and it was kind of spent that time analyzing it and posting essays elsewhere but before we started podcasting so we almost kind of had a coherent. At least on our own perspective of the story and where it might be going, but now it's like we're going to be processing and analyzing it almost in real time for our listeners. So we might have some terrible hot takes that we walk back later on, and uh, there's, yeah, it's just interesting to be kind of thinking about it and expressing that like in almost simultaneously. Yeah, um, it's just there's so much.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, it's going to be a very different experience. Um, and in many ways, I'm still doing what I did with the Force Awakens because I am still writing thousands of word of thousands of words of meta because that's just my thing and that's how I relax because I'm a weirdo. But um, yeah, like I wasn't doing the podcast immediately after the Force Awakens, and obviously neither were you because we do it together. And yeah, it's strange because talking through things that is a very different process to rationalising your thoughts about something in writing because yeah. in writing you can go over it however many times you want, you can revise it and you can fine tune it until you're really, really happy with what you're saying. Whereas in a podcast it's just by its nature much more spontaneous and natural. So yeah, we're bound to say more stupid stuff, but <laughs> hey, I'm sure people love it. So Yeah, they'll yeah. they'll get a laugh
1: out of it. So. Exactly.
0: Um but yeah, I think it's very, very safe to say that we both love the movie correct oh my god yeah i
1: can't even say how much like i was really worried that it wasn't going to live up to my expectations because we've been talking about it so much um we love the force awakens so much Mm. and uh, i'm so happy with it yeah there's so so much here it's so rich
0: Mm. it is and i think for me one of the most amazing things is how intrinsically tied to the force awakens it is because mm-hmm. I know there was lots of panic about, plot Plotgate, and there's no plan over all this. Is Ryan just going to toss out everything that J.J. did with for The Force Awakens? And for me, absolutely not. He took loads of really interesting little threads and moments in The Force Awakens, and he built on them in really interesting and rich ways. And this yeah. is something we can talk about later, because I know for some people, seeing The Last Jedi, they felt the opposite. They felt that Ryan looked at the force awakens and basically threw it all out because he wanted to do his own unique thing. And I can see where those people are coming from because often they're talking about things like the parentage question and who is snoke and that sort of thing. But at the same time, I think those mysteries, I don't think the force awakens asked us to think about them as much as people actually did. You know, so yeah. there was like a discrepancy between what the film gave and then what the fandom did with those little moments in the force awakens regarding those things because snow and race parentage are important in the last jedi they're just not important in the ways people thought they were going to be
1: yeah i mean that's kind of what we've been saying right there's i think that what ryan saw in the force awakens was pretty similar to what we saw in terms of what were the most compelling character dynamics and where things could go next mm-hmm. and they could go off in a whole range of directions it wasn't like there was a set answer but there were certain things that just made more sense to dive into and um i know there's there, there's always so much talk about jj's mystery box but i still maintain that there wasn't a huge mystery around Snoke and ray's parentage but for whatever reason the fandom really ran with those
0: mm. yeah, yeah so it's amazing to go back and watch the force awakens after i had seen the last jedi 'Cause so many little moments stuck out so much more and they had so much more power based on what I'd seen in the next movie. So mm-hmm. that moment when Mars tells Ray, um, whomever you're waiting for, they're never coming back. And the way that Ray just breaks down and starts crying with tears streaming down her face, is she just takes it and you can tell how much she's suffering and she's being reminded of that. And when you see that with what you know from The Last Jedi, you know that she knows. And she does know. Yeah. She carries that with her, and it's her most painful, secret memory. And she knows, but she just can't bring herself to accept it. And the mm-hmm. story of The Force Awakens is her getting there, and then in The Last Jedi, it's really, really like forced upon her that, no, you need to confront this, you need to move on. And then I think at the end of that film, she really does, she takes like a clean break from her past in that way, and that's really powerful.
1: Yeah, there are so many callbacks in... Would you call them callbacks? Like, that, the, there's just a lot of references made to stuff in The Force Awakens that maybe people hadn't necessarily picked out as things that would be following up on, like a lot of the dialogue between Rey and Kylo, to yes. kind of contrast, to show the development.
0: Yeah, there's that scene where they're talking over the Force bond, and like kyla says you have that look in your eyes from the forest when you called me a monster it's like oh my god (laughs) so amazing
1: yeah there's there's so much there because he's talking as if he's known her for years which we know is not the case Mm. um so there's like this real intimacy that almost feels unearned at that point because it's is that like the the first or second is that is the second or that I think it's moment, the right yeah yeah um but also like the idea of him seeing that in her eyes and recognizing what it means and then acknowledging that she called him a monster like that's obviously stuck with him and then also saying yes I am I feel like they're really drawing parallels between Ray and Kylo and it's almost the implication that she's a monster too because they both share this power and are so alone yeah so interesting
0: it's fascinating and I think it also goes back to that whole line of it's too late from The Force Awakens when his father is trying to bring him back and you can tell that Kylo just feels this despair because he's so bound to Snoke and he feels so chained to Snoke by everything that's happened. And I think when he like admits to being a monster, he's returning to that feeling of bondage to Snoke and bondage to like the monstrous part of himself. And yeah just all these layers it's so fascinating we're going to be talking about this for months and months but i just feel it all bubbling up inside of me as we're talking and it's hard not to talk about everything which is obviously impossible um yeah. But, but yeah we should probably try to stick to the structure because <laughs> we do have something of a structure and that's going to help us no end um yeah one of the first things we want to talk about is that there has been a really interesting discrepancy between the critic responses to the movie and the apparent audience reactions Um, so I think on Rotten Tomatoes the critic score is in the mid 90s and then the audience score is in the mid 50s which is incredibly low for these kinds Mm -hmm. of sites I think it's lower than any of the prequels even and yeah could you talk about that a bit more Kirsty give people a bit more context
1: yeah well, we all have been talking about this for a few days because it seemed so out of whack and I'd seen a few posts going around on Tumblr, but I didn't know how many waves they'd be making that like people who were unhappy with some of the things that happened in the movie, like who Ray's parents turned out to be and what was going on with Luke and Snow and things um, were kind of encouraging people to leave negative reviews. But mm-hmm. um, there's a report from deadline that says that bots have actually been revealed to be manipulating the scores.
0: Oh, wow. So that's,
1: that's different from just individuals expressing their own disappointment. That's like an orchestrated thing, which is just kind of awful, but at least people know about it now. Yeah. Um, But this just all kind of ties in with what they were saying about the movie before it came out, that it was going to be controversial. Mm. And I think people were excited about that idea until it meant that they didn't get what they wanted. Yes. Because for all the talk of how people criticize The Force Awakens a lot, right? For being just like a new hope. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's not necessarily the same fans wanting both things, like complaining about that being too nostalgic and then complaining that The Last Jedi doesn't feel like Star Wars or didn't give them what they wanted in a Star Wars movie. But it just kind of shows that you can't please everyone. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it does also speak to this kind of fandom entitlement. Like I know that we are invested fans. We've been talking about this for a long time and we had ideas about where things would go. And um, you know, thankfully it kind of went where we thought it was going to go. There were obviously some surprises that we'll talk about, but we're very happy with how the story went. But that's not true for everyone. Yeah. But it just makes me so sad that people would react this way. Um yeah. Because however you feel about the movie personally, this is people's hard work. Mm. Um. Yeah. It just bums me out.
0: Yeah. No, it's a shame. Because yeah, like you and I, we love this movie, and we're obviously not alone in our love. Many, many people. Love this movie. And I'd say that the positive reactions far outweigh the negative ones because it's important to remember that The Last Jedi has an A cinema score. And that is the same cinema score as The Force Awakens. And cinema score is actually a much more reliable metric than Rotten Tomatoes because it's based on polls done of people that are actually leaving the movie theatre. So there's nothing stopping someone who hasn't even seen The Last Jedi from voting for that movie on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's not a reliable indication of the popular mood surrounding the movie. Mm. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score, all that indicates is the hardcore fan reaction because those are the people who feel particularly intensely about this movie and therefore they're compelled to go and leave their thoughts on this site. And in particular, people tend to be most motivated to do that when they feel negatively about something. So I think you'll find that when people really hate something and really angry about something, then they're more likely to go and leave it a bad score than they would say leave a movie a good score if they enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I'm not the kind of person who like leaves a negative restaurant review if I have a bad experience either. So yeah. uh, it's not the kind of thing I can speak to personally. But yeah and people are entitled to leave a bad review, right? Mm. but it's when it's it's like this bot thing, yeah, that's just so not cool, yeah,
0: and I know that lots of people were writing the movie off like purely based on plot points they re- they'd read about it, right, like I try to avoid spoilers, but before the movie came out, I saw like snatches of things. So I saw Force Projection Luke. I didn't have context for that, which I'm glad of, because it was still mostly a surprise when I saw the movie. But the reactions to that spoiler that I saw in the days before the movie came out, they were extremely negative.
1: I've got to wonder why.
0: Why that in itself? Is that because it's new? I think it's that. I think it's because they wanted Luke to be there as a physical presence. They wanted him to be there in person being a badass. And I think people also maybe wanted him to show more like traditional fighting prowess. Because the whole point of that climactic scene with Luke and Kylo is that Luke shows himself as a true Jedi by being a pacifist. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't fight Kylo, <laughs> it's all about dodging Kylo and playing with Kylo's mind and showing Kylo how serene and collected and purposeful he is. And yeah. That is exactly as it should be. That is a very grounded in character way to present Luke in that moment. Much more so than it would be to have him like twirling around and doing like badass lightsaber moves. But I think some people really did just expect and want like a more traditional epic fight scene where he just slays some dudes. But they didn't do that. And as far as I'm concerned, it's very, very good they didn't do that because. Giving him that kind of scene that would have nothing to do with character and everything to do with fan wish.
1: I was going to say a fight between Luke and Kylo. I I felt like what they gave us was so great for the characters, mm. um because it's really Kylo thinks he's going to find answers by destroying Luke, and that's not what happens at all. He's he's humiliated. He's more lost than ever, and he's yeah. kind of just fighting himself, which yeah. is pretty on the nose for what's going on with him in the Last Jedi. Like he's his own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and obviously it's great for Luke too, because he comes back to, um, I, I, I guess I just don't understand that, because Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi is that, so he's getting back to that place and achieving Nirvana in some way, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think in the first half of the film, when he's with Rey on the island, Luke is ruled by fear and like terror about what might become of everything. Everything he loves—Ray, of Rey, of Ben, of Leia, etc., etc.—and then when he returns at the very end, we're seeing him have moved past that fear and having regained all his confidence and hope and peace. Like people, I've seen people suggest that when, like uh, Luke says no, when Kylo asks him, "Are you here to save my soul?" <laughs> I've seen people suggest that that means that Luke thinks that Kylo is utterly irredeemable and that there's no hope left for him. which He literally said the
1: exact opposite to Leia.
0: Yeah, exactly. He said, no one is ever truly lost. Those are legit words said <laughs> by Mr. Luke Skywalker. And my read of that dialogue and his whole treatment of Kylo towards the end of the film is that he's saying, look, Leia, you and me, we're not doing it. It's not working. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so we need to give up, girl. But that doesn't mean there's no hope obviously he doesn't go into what the hope would be because that's going to be up to jj to decide and tell the story of in his movie but i think it's pretty clear from the context it's Ray and not Ray in the sense of Ray going and dragging his ass back to the light side because she tried to do that and it didn't work but Ray, in the sense that she is the only person really who kylo loves mm-hmm. so if he's going to come back for anyone it's her but yeah, yeah. i feel
1: like by the end of the last jedi that's so apparent because they've both lost their masters at this point and it really is just them as yeah. the two force users so i know it ends with that boy using the force on the broom so it's not like they're the only ones but in terms of their positioning in the story as the central dynamic and that push pull I, I feel like that's what it's getting at yeah so,
0: exactly see it's how it su- plays out. such a rich setup for the next movie it's amazing
1: mm-hmm. um
0: Right, so have we bought any side material?
1: Uh, Not yet, but I am going to go and buy the art book today because I've already seen snippets online and it is exciting me so much because there were things that I kind of picked up on viewing but I wasn't sure if they were intentional. Yes. And then I've seen them and Ryan's talking about them in the book and I'm like, yes, that is so perfect. Yeah.
0: Now, I think the art of books for these new movies, they're always going to be the best insight into the behind-the-scenes process. Mm -hmm. and they're going to offer some of the greatest quotes from the filmmakers on what was going on behind the scenes. Um, Because, yeah, I have the art book. I still haven't had a chance to read it properly, but I have looked at every page, and it's really beautiful, and you'll definitely love it. There's, like, a nice little portrait of baby Ben Solo, which is awesome. And, (laughs) yeah, just so much great, great stuff. Um, I'm also getting the visual dictionary, because the visual dictionary is one of the books I always get because it has loads of great stuff in it every time. And I have also got a special souvenir magazine with exclusive photos because Star Wars knows how to get my money. So, (laughs) yeah, I've got quite a lot of stuff, but I'm probably going to stop there because otherwise it just goes on and on and I've already spent enough money on this damn movie. Until the
1: novelisation comes out in March. Oh, yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) And then the Blu-ray and then the graphic novel (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I really hope we get Ryan's
1: commentary on the first DVD release this time.
0: I saw someone um, said we would. Okay, good, which makes me happy. So I hope because I think straight. it was kind of cheeky the
1: way they did that with JJ's, like leaving it for another ten months, especially I, especially because of all the fan theories that were flying around.
0: Mm. I think they'll do it so that they all come out at the same time, but there'll be different editions of the movie. So you could get like a vanilla DVD where is like the movie and two featurettes. You can get the Blu-ray where it's got some deleted scenes. And then you can get the epic, epic, epic super fan package that has the commentary and all the deleted scenes and all the featurettes, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to do that. But I don't care as long as they do it all at the same time. So I can just buy the version I want from the beginning rather than having to double dip. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I didn't end up getting the, was it the 3D edition that Mm -hmm. JJ gave the commentary on? I didn't actually end up getting it. But... <gasps> Trader <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day. I was in Target. And then I was like, I shouldn't be buying anything for The Force Awakens right now. I'm in TLJ mode. So <laughs> maybe I'll order it on Amazon someday.
0: Well, it's actually a happy story for me with that. Because at the time, I lived close to an Aster Mega Store, And they luckily made a really bad price in error. And they put on the shelf of 13 quid, which is really nice. cheap. So I think it's meant to be like 25 or something. And I was like, yes! So, yeah, bargain. <laughs> it's really good. Oh, and by the way, I the Star Wars magazines I bought for you, they are currently with my friend who is returning to America tomorrow. So you'll have them soon. Okay. Cool.
1: I have ones that I need to send to you as well.
0: <laughs> it's going to happen soon. Um, right. Okay. So I think it's probably time to start looking at the movie in terms of some themes. We've been so excited, as you can tell, that we've been unable to resist the pull of just talking about the movie at random intervals because there's so much to say. But yeah, we need to be a little bit more concentrated. So the first theme we would like to talk about is failure. And this is a very interesting through line because I think it's safe to say that pretty much every main character deals with failure Mm -hmm. in one way or another. And the film's very much an exploration of failure and its consequences. And I think this has also played into the fan reaction, to be honest, because I've seen lots of complaints along the lines of, but this mission was pointless. They didn't do what they set out to do. And my response to that is, yes, that's the point.
1: (laughs) Again, I saw this with a lot of um, the discussion around Finn's arc in The Force Awakens as well. Mm. This idea that a hero has to just be successful in everything and never have moments of doubt or futility, um, to have the story be worth telling, um, because there is this like circular, futile element to what Finn and Rose go through, for example, in the Last Jedi. Mm. But that's beside the point, right? Yeah. Um, you you see the character development and you see how they respond to the failure, and that is everything. Because you see the other side too. You see how villains respond to failure.
0: Mm. Exactly. And it's so, so interesting because like, even Snoke has to deal with failure. <laughs> Not necessarily so- his own failure, but to the first scene in which we see Snoke in the flesh, he is literally like tearing Kylo a new one because of how badly he failed him. Like, And that is the purpose of that scene, is to demonstrate how Snoke responds to failure. So that scene is so character building for both Kylo and Snoke because it tells us so much about their relationship and how horrible and warped and twisted it is.
1: I think it's interesting because he's also, he's doing that by talking about his relationship with Hux as well. Mm. Like, what does he call him? A rabid cur? Yes. Something like that. Which is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, he's talking to Kylo about how he treats Hux and why he um, has him stick around, but he's obviously talking about the way he treats Kylo too.
0: Mm. Uh. exactly and again I love this because it's part of how cleverly constructed the movie is but I think that also shows that Kylo's very intelligent in the sense that he clearly absorbs that information because later on he probably would have really liked to kill Hux because we know he hates Hux but in the aftermath of killing Snoke when Hux discovers him he doesn't kill Hux and I think that's because he knows on a rational level that he needs Hux so if he doesn't have Hux everything's going to hell because he needs that military-minded person to help him sort everyone out.
1: Because... I feel like that might come back to bite him in the ass, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to go horribly wrong. <laughs> but... <laughs> just the way Hook looks at him towards the end. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, he's going to kill
0: him. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I just can't even begin to imagine what the first few days of Ky- Supreme Leader Kylo Ren's rule look like. <laughs> I mean, the first, first 20 minutes... <laughs> Like They're the hilarious. Most <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hux. Yeah. Like it's very good actually, in a way it does make you feel bad for Hux, which is very well, impressive. Kind of. Yeah, like from a certain point of view, Kirstie. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, he's hilarious. Seriously, he, he, like he got him. <laughs> yes.
0: And one of my favorite lines is after like Kylo like slams Hux against the wall of the force. And the poor pilot dude, who's clearly just completely over everything. He's like, very good, sir. And he just does what Kylo wants.
1: See, I love all that stuff because they're obviously trying to show on some level that Kylo is getting dangerously close to being Vader, right? Because he starts four-stroking people and throwing them around and mm. billowing dramatically with the cape and everything. <laughs> but it's played for comedic effect, which it's not really... That's not done in the same way with Vader, necessarily, yeah. like... You're not, you're not afraid of Kylo.
0: No. There's still the essence of it being the boy dressing up and pretending to be something he's not. which exactly. I think is exactly like how it's intended to come across. Yeah. And in terms of the theme of failure, um, again, you have Ray, and she probably fails because she believes, like for a large part of The Last Jedi, that she can turn the tide of the war. And save everything by going to Kylo Ren and thus bringing Ben Solo back, and she fail- fails because that's not how it goes, and that's so so tragic, and my heart breaks. For her yeah, when she's like, Ben, please don't go this way. It's like,
1: <laughs> yeah, that that brings the fields. Um,
0: so many. Ray has
1: always been a, such a an optimistic character, and has so much hope and compassion for others yeah. and a deep like capacity to forgive because how would she have survived all that time on Jakku if she'd just been eating away at herself with the bitterness Yeah. Um, and she tries to put that all on to Kylo because they both she recognises that they both have the sense of abandonment and she wants to be there for him and have him be there in the same way for her but it's just not that simple and neither of them is willing to compromise
0: yeah exactly and there's something so tragic in it because you can tell how deeply they care for each other. Like, I would say they're in love. I think, I think Kylo, in Wars Kylo Wars is... De- in Star Wars terms, yeah, because <laughs> hand holding. Come on, like we all know what that means. Wink, wink. No, um, <laughs> but Kylo is definitely in love, and at as a minimum, Rey feels deep compassion for Ben Solo, and. Yeah, the intensity of their feelings for each other—that makes the very fact that Ray fails and the very fact that Kylo fails to convince her—it makes it all so incredibly tragic. It's it's heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time because you're so deeply invested, and that's because the characters are so deeply invested in each other, and the actors are so brilliant in their performances that you completely buy that investment. And oh, it's just so incredibly well done.
1: I think it's tragic because. It is like a very first love kind of thing, um, mm-hmm. where they they want to pull the other to their side, right? Yeah. Um. So it's quite selfish in a way. Yes. Um, that they think that they have the right percep- perception, and they're trying to convince the other one of theirs. Yeah. And you just know that neither of them is going to succeed because there's so much of a baggage. Um. It's you know, even as Kylo kills Snoke, that's it's just not that simple. Yeah.
0: Um I find it really fascinating how in the movie after they're separated, so after that lightsaber explodes in between them and then they're both on their own again, how they both almost become caricatures of themselves. So Kylo is like ultra angry and he's like fire every weapon on that man and he's just so full of rage and he's this angry little boy acting out on the most in the most extreme and intense way and then in contrast to that you have ray and she's all smiley and happy and perky going around the falcon shooting the guns
1: yeah that's and... her back to the force awakens ray almost isn't yeah,
0: it exactly so they're back to the most simplified basic versions themselves after we've seen all this complexity and character development between them but, but then you see it, that last interaction exactly and then at the very very end of the film when you see that connection between them awakened again then you realize no that depth that complexity of character that's all still there it was just suspended because story reasons and because of the intensity of the emotions they were feeling in those parts of the movie and yeah and i love that because yeah it shows that in a way, when they're with each other, they make each other more rounded as people and they give each other like new depths and new insights. And
1: oh, it's also good. <laughs> Sorry, I need to write a yeah. letter about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree because it's like they're back to being in the roles that they've carved out for themselves and that other people have thrust onto them. Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, caricatures where, um, Ray's lifting the rocks you know she even says it herself like oh I'm doing the Jedi thing I'm lifting rocks that's Mm -hmm. what Jedi do and saving her friends and she has that wonderful reunion with Finn and they don't even need words to convey the emotion there Mm -hmm. um but you can still see it like not just in the interaction that she has with Kylo again before she shuts the door but the way she talks to Leia um yeah she's yeah and just like the way she looks at Finn and Rose is Finn is tucking Rose into the blanket. Like, you can see that that sense of loneliness and betrayal is still there.
0: Yeah. Ugh. I also got a sense it was thinking about, oh, how nice to have someone like to love like that and take care of you. Because she's thinking yeah, about but... the closeness she had with Ben. But...
1: Yeah, Daisy's talked so often in interviews recently about how Ray is so lonely. Mm. Um, which is kind of strange in some way because you you do see that she has these friendships. I know Finn and Ray were separated for basically the entire movie. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: But there are different kinds of relationships. And I think just because of the level of responsibility in terms of their force sensitivity that Ray and Kylo feel, I think that's kind of what you get through those force interactions, right? That they're on this level where other people just wouldn't be able to empath- empathize in the same way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's kind of coming across when she looks over at Finn and Rose, there's this distance. Yeah so bittersweet, yeah, sleep yeah so beautiful (laughs) Uh, i love so much that she has that interaction with leia at the end though because i mean just on a pure like heroine journey model level Mm -hmm. that's her like um that's kind of the atonement with the mother which if you look at the film in terms of how she starts the journey with confronting the powerless father who's luke it just even as subversive as this movie was it hits a lot of the the main story beats for a heroine's journey as well, yeah, even just the symbolism, which we'll kind of geek out over later.:
0: Yeah, no, it's all really like well done and so thoughtfully put together, which I really deeply appreciate. Um, should we also talk about how failure is still de- dealt with in relation to like the other characters like Poe and finn and Rose?:
1: Oh, sure. like I really enjoyed Poe's story in this movie, mm. which I was not expecting
0: yeah i got I so think- much more out of him here than i did in the force awakens
1: yeah i thought it would feel like filler but holdo was such a great foil yeah and even though i was kind of bummed that we didn't get as much layer because she was taken out of that and um, that role for quite some time i felt like that's what poe needed yes um, and and then the way she comes back <laughs> would, like desperately needs this lesson yeah uh, it's mostly quite shocking to people because they've been kind of building up this like, oh, Leia looks at Poe as the surrogate son. And she does. There's this real affection there, like the way that she talks to Holder at the end. Like they both, it's funny that Holdo's like, I like him. That's <laughs> <laughs> their kind of antagonism because yeah. she's just this older mother figure who knows better. She has that wisdom in a way that Poe can't yet because yeah. he has so many lessons to learn. Don't they also and say just... that he's
0: nice to look at? Yeah, for, for
1: sure. <laughs> When, okay, when Holdo was first talking to Poe <laughs> and she's like, oh, I know your type, dangerous. I was like, she is flirting with him. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's my shit, man. <laughs> we have not
1: to flirt with Poe, I suppose.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's just innate. Um, but yeah, I guess failure in relation to Poe, it's a lesson in how there's no single solution for every scenario. So... Poe's default
1: attitude is,
0: let's go in an X Wing and blow things up. And that's literally a lie. I love in the how movie.
1: it's such a. Sorry, I keep talking over you.
0: Don't worry, go for it.
1: I love how it's kind of a deconstruction and critique of how Poe is used in The Force Awakens. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> that is kind of what we've known of Poe. Like, that's why I didn't find him too compelling, because it was just like, yeah, I'm going to get an next Wing and blow stuff up. And I'm really great at that. It's like, yes, yeah. okay, you are. What's next? What will challenge you? Yeah. Um, and yeah, the war's getting real, and you can't just do that every time. And clearly, from the beginning of the film, we can see that his choices have consequences. Yeah. Um, you know, we lose Paige, and God, that whole that whole part of the movie is so moving, even though you don't know this character. Yeah. It's really um, effective. Yeah. So, Poe had a great arc. Um, he did. I've seen a few people criticizing it, and I'm, maybe people are just skeptical as to how, because Ryan did expand on who Poe was, which you have to do. Don't feel like it was a character assassination or anything, because really we barely scratched the surface of Poe and the Force Awakens. So you you just didn't see all this side to him. Um, But yeah, just the ending when he's, he's, he's leading the way now and people look back at Leia and she says, yeah, what are you looking at me for? Follow him. Like that's the completion of that arc. And when she's talking to him about what Holdo had decided to do and how she didn't care about seeming like a hero that you can tell that that stuck with Poe you can see the dawning realization on his face and then he quotes Holdo later on right
0: yeah like we are the spark yeah yeah that's really well done and the fact that his hero moment is leading everyone in retreat (laughs) which is definitely not something he would have thought were a hero moment at the start of the movie. That's like what he comes to appreciate, and I really like the fact that there's a um, shot where he's just like looking on helplessly as he sees the ship with only Holdo left on it, and that's a real moment of like horror and pain for him because he recognizes that God, this is really it, and there's nothing I can do. And in that moment, he is completely helpless, there's no X Wing to jump into, there's no way he can. Do anything in an offensive manoeuvre that will help that situation and i think that that powerlessness and just being forced to watch this immense act of bravery by holdo when she slices through the supremacy in which is amazing it's so so well done by the way like that is just such a defining character moment for him and i'm looking forward to seeing the kind of leader he becomes in episode nine
1: yeah like even the part where they notice that Luke's going out to f- confront Kylo and Finn's like, oh no, we've got to help him. It's You can see the pose developed in that he's looking out and thinking, wait, no, there has to be something here. Like This is being done for a reason and we need to stop and think about it for a second. Yeah. Because the Poe at the beginning would not have done that.
0: Exactly. And I really like um, what they do with Finn and Rose as well, because... Like they meet and they meet in this spirit of such sweet and endearing like optimism and hope, because they both like combine their knowledge of like technical things and like first order information, and they combine that to think, hey, if we can sort out the whole hyperspace tracking thing. Then we're free to go. We can escape the first order, and everything will be great again. And it is a good plan, but their naivety and their willingness to just go with it when DJ offers to help them and their failure to make sure their plans are properly communicated back to the other people in the resistance, all of that means it goes horribly wrong and actually ends up endangering the whole resistance because Mm -hmm. if Finn and Rose hadn't gone on their whole little adventure, then they wouldn't have met DJ. DJ wouldn't have been able to give the first order that intel on the escape shuttles being used and then many, many lives would have been saved. So their actions actually resulted in lots of people getting killed. And that's important, because in real life, mistakes in military situations, they have consequences, and they have big consequences, and that people lose their lives. And I appreciated that. And also the fact that you see Finn, Finn especially, dealing with that by... Essentially, going on like a kamikaze mission at the end when he tries Mm -hmm. to, like, go straight into the, what was it like a laser cannon? Yeah, I guess I'll say laser cannon. (laughs) So he tries to pilot his ship into the laser cannon until the last moment when Rose stops him, and I think that has a beautiful message as well because Finn, in that moment, he feels like he has to, like, atone for the miscalculation through this big heroic sacrifice needs to actually save lives instead of endangering them but then rose actually makes the contrary point that there's no point in giving your life up for this in this moment like because in a way it would have always been kind of an arbitrary sacrifice because there's still all those walkers they're still far outgunned they need, need, just need to get out of there they need to survive as individuals like these big shows of heroics they're not going to achieve anything and yeah, that yeah. little speech Rose gives at the end like about how we're going to win by saving the things we love, it's so nice.
1: Yeah, I really feel like that is the kind of quote that will summarise the whole trilogy. Yes, Or at least like what I even consider fundamental to Star Wars in general. Yeah. And for all the talk about how Ryan's kind of crushed people's perception of what Star Wars is, I feel like it stays true to those core themes, even if it pushes it forward. Yeah. Um. I think it's very,
0: very Star Wars, like on a very deep level. And I I think that's a big reason why I love it. I think it might even be my favourite Star Wars movie. You know, I can't say that definitively yet. It's still so new. But like, I love that it's so goofy. I love that there's like all this weird, weird stuff in it. And I love most of all that it's so much about emotion and character because a lot of people forget how important that is. And for me, Star Wars without those things is nothing. Yeah,
1: I, I think it might be my favourite too, but I'm also wary of jumping on that wagon so soon because we are kind of in hype mode. Yes. But just in terms of like how meta it is um, and how a lot of the characters do seem to be talking to the audience as much as they are to each other.
0: <laughs> yes, this is true.
1: Um, Yeah, Finn's arc is so beautiful and it's really quite subtle. Um, I've seen people complaining that it's not enough of a hero's journey, but when you see him flying towards that cannon at the end, and it's so beautifully shot, with the light and the music and everything, um, you feel like he could die in that moment, like yeah. that he's found what he wants to stand for. And he's developed these relationships that mean so much um, that he's willing to do that because the beginning of the film, he's not in that place. Um, and I know it's very exaggerated that Rose is obviously in this place of intense grief. You know, her sister just died in this incredible sacrifice. Um so she's calling him selfish and a traitor, it's obviously kind of exaggerated. That's not how we think of Finn. Yeah. But she comes around too, she sees the nuances. Um and I just think it's beautiful how they learn from the other.
0: Yes. Exactly. It's a real reciprocal relationship where they like grow and develop in really positive ways. And I think it's like the sweet, like counterbalance to like the darker, more anguished, like and Kylo thing because Ray and Kylo, they also develop so, so much based on their interactions with one another. And in many ways, that's really, really positive, and beautiful development. Like, the way those characters like fight together against the Praetorian Guard, that, I, yeah, I can unquestionably say, I think that's my favourite fight scene in the whole of Star Wars, because that whole fight scene, every moment of it is about character. Like, none of it is, like, superfluous. Like, every, like, look, every, like, motion, every gesture, all of it is about how these people care for each other and work with each other and are so in sync that they don't need to ask about what the other person's doing. They just know they're Mm -hmm. that, like, in touch. And it's really beautiful. And it's a symbol of what they can achieve by working together like that. And obviously like it has a tragic ending in the last jedi in that they just cannot reconcile what they want from the future and so they separate but yeah it's i just love there's these different pairs and you yeah. see them alongside each other and you can think about them both as contrast like again i need to write about this because my thoughts <laughs> aren't fully developed which is why
1: i kind of tail off
0: but you yeah know, i feel
1: like that is very relevant to the theme of failure that we're talking about because you see this brief moment of them working together and how much they achieve. Mm. And then it goes sour so quickly because Kylo can't let go, even though he's accusing Ray of that very same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a failure in that you see the potential there. Um, and he thinks that they should capitalize that by ruling the galaxy together. And there's just no way that Ray could agree to that as... Yeah. As things are, um so yeah, it's the failure there of that relationship kind of coming to fruition. They come so close, yeah, it's pretty heartbreaking
0: it is, and it's more heartbreaking because you see how beautiful it can be when it's going well
1: when it's going well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I yeah I, and i I love Yoda as well because he's kind of the one that brings all of this home in a very explicit way, mm. and tying it to. The notion of snoke and luke being the masters and how that is a burden because they have to let go yes yeah. it's their apprentices that will go on to achieve things next yeah um,
0: we are what they grow beyond i think isn't
1: that what he says yeah and yoda knows that more than anyone right like exactly. yoda has known colossal failure and that's that's again referenced explicitly by Luke when he's talking to Ray about the Jedi Order and their hubris. So yeah, it all ties together so beautiful. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I think it's something, there's something beautiful in Yoda saying that to Luke because I think he's also trying to remind Luke of the fact that at a certain point you need to have trust that this young person will, in their heart of hearts, ultimately know what the right thing
1: to do is. Yeah, Yoda saying that to Luke is pretty poignant because. that young person was once Luke exactly yeah and Yoda was warning him against going and again like he failed in Empire so we're seeing some mirroring yeah Um, but yeah it's it's really remarkable how it feels so different from Empire but has these similarities I I don't think I've seen anyone complaining that it feels like Empire
0: yeah and I I think if they are it's just like nope (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like saying it's that both special. films are about love or something it's like yeah there's lots of films about love it's all about how they handle that theme <laughs> yeah yeah oh my goodness we're only like three points down on like page one of six
1: <laughs> I know I don't think people are going to get through this whole show <laughs> we
0: can always split it up if
1: we keep talking for like two hours and then need to stop we can just save it for next week
0: oh yeah I, I think we're probably going to have to end up doing that but we can definitely keep on going for now um, yeah for your next theme we have loneliness so <laughs> a nice and jolly one but yeah again this is so true and I think it's most embodied by Rey and Kylo and of course Luke is lonely as well but I think that's different because with Luke it's voluntary loneliness he chose to separate himself from the world whereas with Rey and Kylo you get the sense that They're lonely because their experiences have made them so horribly, horribly alone and oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah.
1: The the Luke's loneliness is really interesting because at the beginning, as you say, the self-imposed exile, he's like very much in this grumpy old man get off thing that we've talked about a lot before. And it's paid for laughs. Um, but by the end, his loneliness is a completely different kind. He is kind of getting to that point of nirvana, right? So it's loneliness in terms of feeling not bound by people, but mm-hmm. um just kind of becoming one with a force, right? That yeah. he lets go, that he's achieved his purpose. Ray says peace and purpose. There's something so lovely about that. Like I I I can't even say, it. like it just kinda of sums up everything. Yeah. Um and just the way he goes out is just the best.
0: Yeah. No, it was a really like beautiful, beautiful moment. Like those twin sons appearing, so poetic, for sure. Um, yeah. So with the theme of loneliness, um, yeah, I think the stuff with Ray and Kylo is especially poignant because they're both young people, and I'm not saying old people are somehow like obliged to be lonely. Of of course they're not, but um, there's something especially sad about these two young people in the prime of their lives. When they should be, like socializing and having company and being with others, there's something especially poignant about them both being so isolated and entrapped. And I think there's something so intimate about how Rey and Kylo connect through the Force, because every time they connect, they're always alone when it's triggered. Like, and sometimes like Luke will enter the picture just as it ends, or as in the famous hut scene, he will. S- Rush into the scene and stop them because ain't no funny business in my heart, um but yeah, like it just underlines that they're both so isolated in this huge, huge galaxy, and they really need each other, and
1: yeah, that was something that we'd kind of anticipated based on the force awakens because all of their key interactions there they also face each other alone, mm. um but it's just kind of really brought home and intensified and as they start to gain empathy for each other mm. um. Because they are like the shadow side to each other. So it wouldn't really make sense for them to interact with other people for significant periods of time because their arcs are so intertwined. Yeah. Um, which I know not everyone loves. And I can see why some people would have kind of concerns about Ray's arc in the story and how it depends on Kylo. But again, I think that's subverted by what happens ultimately.
0: Mm. Yeah. Like it's, it's
1: a very clever feminist commentary on what a lot of people were complaining about in terms of where things might go if we had like a Raylo type story but that this nips that concern in the bud yeah um because it's not going to happen that way
0: exactly and that was one of the things that made me so happy and feel so reassured that they know what they're doing because it's not like Raylo in The Last Jedi is treated like a horrible thing. I think in many ways it's treated as a really, really beautiful thing, that like brings out the best qualities of both Rey and Kylo, like as embodied by the Praetorian Guard scene that we've mentioned already, like and they can achieve wonderful things together, and they both care for each other deeply, and in my opinion they love each other, but there needs to be there have to be limits to that. And it can't be, like, unconditional. Oh, Kylo, I'll follow you wherever you go and I'll keep coming back for you and trying to save you no matter what you do. No, that is not what it is and that's not what it should be because, like, love in these kinds of stories, it shouldn't be about constantly going back to a person no matter how badly they behave no matter how much they screw things up. There should be, like, limits to that. And Ray, when she, like, shuts the door on him at the end... It's like you go girl, you should do that. He like you've tried, you've tried so hard, and he did not like come back for that. Like he could not mm. see it, he wasn't ready to see it. And that means that it's up to Kylo now.
1: Well this is the thing, okay, this is like that rejection is fundamental to this kind of fairy tale. Mm. We've talked about this before, this is why she rejects his offer in The Force Awakens and defeats him. Mm. And he he will keep being defeated until he learns yeah, like, that's how these stories work. It's not about her compromising and changing who she is for him. Mm. Uh, if you look at stories like Hades and Persephone, Persephone has her own role to play. Mm. Um, she has her own strength. it's not It's not subdued by Hades. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's so perfect. And I thought that there's a I talked before there's a ton of symbolism in the story. Um, for Ray descending into the underworld and trying to bring Kylo back, but mm. you already kind of know it's not going to happen. Yeah, because um, she has this hope, but you know that he saw something different. When, like, as soon as he starts talking about the vision that he saw, it's like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> they both have fundamentally different ideas of how this is going to play out, and they are just as strong-headed and stubborn. Yeah. Um. So right. yeah, she needs to shut that door on him. Yeah. Like that last interaction says it all.
0: Yeah. In that elevator scene, I, I just cannot get over how love struck they both look with each other. <laughs> the
1: fact that Ray moves towards him, yes, um, displays such a level of trust and understanding and concern for him. Mm. Uh, it's just, I, I didn't expect it to move so quickly in this film. Yeah, but but be believable because I know. Again, we've talked about it before. We've had like endless critiques of. This hypothetical Raylo story that haven't even been told yet, but in my opinion, it's being told so perfectly. Yeah. Um, because they are sacrificing none of Ray's agency. Um, exactly. She's really coming into her own as a character, even as she cares about him. Yeah. And yeah, telling him that it's not good enough. Yeah. That's everything because he needs that.
0: And I think they make it clear that Ray loves Ben Solo, not Kylo Ren. And that if there's to be a future there, that. Ben needs to put Kylo Ren aside and actually come back and not make a friggin' meal out of it. So, yes. Well, I wonder if...
1: I don't know. Like I, It depends where they go with it, because I'm always of the, the view that Anakin and Vader were one and the same. Mm. Um, and kylo's unwilling to acknowledge ben solo even as he's answering to ben as Ray talks to him Mm. but um i don't know maybe it's not like the the true love kind of thing where she's acknowledging the dark and light in him and he's acknowledging the dark and light in her like they they aren't quite there yet
0: they're like seeing
1: idealized versions of each other
0: oh that's true and i guess ben is kind of like her idealized version of what kylo ren should be
1: yeah yeah
0: so but she it, flitted very
1: quickly, didn't she? She was calling in Kylo, and then went to calling in Ben, as if it was a fundamentally different person. Yeah, and I, I think the the point is that it's not. Yeah, I think but that's we'll really see.
0: true. No, definitely, I think it's not like they're two separate people. There's like lots of blurring between Kylo Ren and Ben Solo, because yeah, they they are the same person. Kylo Ren is just the name that Ben Solo chose for himself. I think. The fundamental issue with Kylo, the thing that keeps him from being with Ray, from seeing Ray's view and going with her in the end, is that he, with incredible irony, is the one who is just too hung up on the past. He can't let it go. For sure.
1: He's still clinging on to that pain. Like that whole last part with Luke, he the level of anger and resentment he feels and this idea of, oh, you come back to save my soul. He can't let go. I mean you understand yeah. why to a degree like I I know people think of Kylo as a monster but I think all of that is very relatable yeah. like feeling that resentment and betrayal by family members yeah it's at least personally relatable for me mm. um and he hasn't been able to get over it yeah yeah when he speaks to Rey he's being very hypocritical because he's saying let the past die but he can't do that himself mm. so. exactly
0: it's like, I remember one of the first pieces of meta I think I wrote for The Force Awakens was about how when Kylo screams TRAITOR at Finn at the end of that movie, he's really talking about himself in many ways, because like, Kylo Ren is a traitor on so many levels, because he's just such a mess up in all ways, he... Fail to adhere to the light side he's failing to adhere to the dark side by feeling all this conflict so on and so forth so there's this repeated theme with kylo that he is always talking about himself when he's most angry at someone when he's really lashing out and in one of his rages the person he's most angry with is kylo ren like but he can't bring himself to accept that he can't bring himself to examine that so therefore it's like channeled in these really extra and intense ways. It's like that whole like military campaign on crates led by Kylo. It's the most hilarious thing because it's just him directing his anger using military weaponry. And of course there's something terrifying in that because it's like a big child with lots of guns at his disposal and he can do a lot of damage but it is treated more for comedy because, in so many ways, it's ridiculous. But it's also really poignant because he's so filled of like self hatred and he's so pen- fixed on his betrayal and his anger at his past and his parents and his family and the galaxy and just everything that he just wants to destroy it all. He doesn't want to think about it. He doesn't want to contemplate it. He just wants to destroy it almost like how Poe just wants to take the simple way and blow things up for his X-Wing but yeah he at the end of the film he realizes that it doesn't work I was so gonna say I feel he like he learns he's a lesson be-
1: yeah he's forced to confront that now because he has everything he apparently wanted except he doesn't he has nothing he wanted he's lost everything most yeah. importantly Ray um, so yeah, once I think this is what Ryan's been talking about recently. We have some quotes later on we'll talk about, but yeah, this idea of kicking everything out from under Kylo's feet and having him ascend, um, take over Snoke's role, but that was never something he expressed interest in having. It's yeah. kind of just what he feels like he should want, but he wanted it with Ray. Yeah. and he doesn't have that now. So when he's kneeling on the floor at the end and the dice disappear in his hands, like he's literally left with nothing. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So I think
1: like this has to be leading up to a moment of reckoning for him.
0: Yeah. So I think he tells himself he wants it because that's what Vader wanted. Because when Vader was a young man, he wanted to rule the galaxy with Padme at his side. And you can tell that Kylo has similar ideas, to put it mildly. Um, but, of course, he doesn't learn from the past because if he had any idea what he was doing, he would know that that is not the way to win the heart of the woman you love. <laughs> and, yeah, he would not try. Um, but, yeah, like, again, I think, like you say, it's this question of thinking that's what he should want. He's clearly fixated on this idea of, I am the Skywalker legacy. I have this great, great grand bloodline. I'm clearly destined to do great things and inhabit this great seat of power. But then, yeah, the whole point is how empty that is. Like, when there's no love in that, when there's no, like people who care for you anymore and yeah it's really heartbreaking mm-hmm. so yeah I, like he really has hit rock bottom to be honest well, <laughs> like, how low
1: he... can you go <laughs> right so at the end of the force awakens you're like oh god this has got to be his lowest point yeah he in a way because i feel like that still has to be his darkest deed it's interesting because his
0: like, I've not seen many people talk about it, but nothing he does in The Last Jedi he comes anywhere close to the bad stuff he did in The Force Awakens. Because in The Force Awakens, like, the first thing we see him do, well, one of the first things we see him do is, like, execute Lor Santeka and then order Phasma to fire on those villagers. You don't get anything like that in The Last Jedi, And you even actually see him make good choices. So he refuses to fire on Leia, for example. And, of course, he kills Snoke, which gives you good brownie points. And specifically, he kills Snoke when Snoke is threatening Rey. So, yeah, he does actually start to make good choices and he does nothing anywhere near the ballpark of murdering Dad. Yeah, I mean, what do you think about
1: the whole... Like, he... Almost the way he... uh tries to kill yeah. Luke is almost like a deliberate contrast with how he tries to kill Han. Mm. Because that is very reluctant. Whereas here he's just completely lost all control.
0: Yeah. No, it's really interesting. It's almost like he's like play-acting how he thinks of a villain should act.
1: Yes, it's a terrible caricature, but it's not remotely threatening. And Luke isn't threatened and leaves the audience. We think it's funny and sad, I guess. Yeah.
0: Like luke really like is just having like a really fun time with it he's like (laughs) lols his little brushing off the shoulder yes i love it and you can tell that he just does not take kylo seriously at all
1: yeah he feels sad for him and i'm sure he still feels the guilt that he was expressing earlier but it's also he knows that kylo has this work to do for himself he's the only one who can turn things around for himself
0: Exactly, and I really do feel that Luke has hoped back for Kylo by the end of the film, because Luke's arc in relation to Kylo, or more specifically Ben Solo, is really interesting, because obviously the precipitating event that made Ben Solo Kylo Ren was Ben Solo waking up to see his uncle holding his ignited lightsaber over his face, which I loved that revelation, by the way. That was so awesome and it was so well done, especially with the whole Rashomon thing where you keep on revisiting the same moment from different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Um, And that moment, the choice to even contemplate that because Luke does explain his rationale and is sympathetic, you understand why he got to that headspace. But the fact that he even contemplated murdering his sleeping nephew that indicates a real loss of faith, indicates a loss in a way of the type of person Luke was that he's most famous for. Because Luke's defining act is saving his father and having this like unshakable, unwavering belief in Darth Vader's goodness. And I think that's why a lot of people are shocked that he did what he did to Ben Solo. But mm-hmm. I f- can't help but think that The whole theme of Luke reaching this place of peace and purpose and, uh, like, realisation in the Force, I can't help but think that's undermined if he goes to his end thinking, my nephew's gone forever. And I think that's the whole point of that line, like, no one's ever truly lost. Because if he'd lost all hope for Kylo, then I don't think he'd be saying things like that. And I don't think he would go to his end quite so peacefully.
1: Yeah, I feel sad in a way because it totally makes sense to for me for Leia to have lost that hope for now. But mm. presumably, part of her arc in Nine would have been to regain that hope.
0: Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, we just we won't get that. Yeah,
1: full story for her now.
0: It is really poignant, um, and there is something so sad about seeing her say that about her child. But again, like it's, I I completely understand why she got there. She there's no reason for her to have. Like faith or belief in Ben at that point because look at what he's done Mm -hmm. you know like she sent her own husband off to try and save him and he murdered him (laughs) like yeah so you really really empathise with her even at the same time that you recognise how sad and tragic it is but yeah I think they're going to have to find another way to do Leia justice and I do think that justice is going to have to be through the character of Kylo slash Ben Yeah, I
1: can't really see how else it would be now, to be honest. Mm. Um, I feel like that meeting between her and Rey at the end is really powerful. Mm. Um, And they obviously have a bond. But again, Rey's story is so into time with Kylo that that's where it's going to come from, I think.
0: Exactly. Um, Right. (laughs) Uh, I think we've kind of covered Let the Past Die, haven't we? yeah Yeah. well
1: a lot of the themes that i've picked out kind of do have crossover right? yeah
0: exactly um right then the movie it also has a very nice strand of anti-capitalist commentary which i can always get behind um and that's mostly underlined through the canto bite stuff with rose and finn and i really liked that i've seen canto bite get lots of flack because people say it feels like filler and like it really slowed the movie down. And I can understand where people are coming from with that, but
1: you've got to have some world building as well, though. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I love that world building. I thought Counter looked really cool.
1: <laughs> I think it's a really great way of contextualizing how the first order came about and has become so ubiquitous as well, because it's down to that apathy and decadence there. And presumably those people's inability to look at their choices and connect it with, the war that's going on um, and because they have that luxury right they're not the ones who are suffering so i i mean it's super relevant to our society um and ryan's clearly making some strong points there but yeah you always get this kind of controversy with the political messages of star wars you had it the same with rogue one so
0: yeah exactly they're in their own like little bubble of privilege
1: yeah like the way that dj talks about how the, the person whose ship they saw, oh you know he's making weapons for the bad guys and the good guys um yeah i think that's a very interesting element to introduce to finn's story because so far his perception of the world is very black and white yeah which makes sense based on where he came from and where he is now oh definitely yeah.
0: it's like dj wasn't one of my favorite characters but i must say i really did love how dj left the story like i mm. love how um like, Finn, I think Finn says, You're wrong. Like, when DJ's just been talking pessimistically about how both sides are screwed up and there's no clear right or wrong, that sort of thing. And um, Finn says, You're wrong. And DJ just shrugs his shoulders and says, Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and is really just such total apathy. Mm-hmm. Like, he just couldn't care less. Like, he's making his buck and that's all he needs. And there's something so relevant in that and it's a little bit chilling because i think we can all relate to that on some level it's like i'm indifferent certain things that i definitely shouldn't be indifferent to like i feel such an apathy towards politics for example and that's because i'm kind of dead into it and i do have that feeling of well all the sides are just as bad as each other really aren't they they're both corrupt they're both liars (laughs) All all those sorts of feelings you know so I can identify with DJ, but I can also recognise how bad that is and how dangerous apathy is, you know? Right.
1: I feel like it's important to recognise we probably all have a little bit of DJ in us because yeah. to an extent you compartmentalise so that you can live your daily life mm. um, and can't be worried about all of these things that you don't necessarily always have direct control over. But we do have choices and yes. we see him making choices that are clearly not good, but he's just kind of rationalising them in his own mind.
0: Yeah. Exactly, and you kind of have to rationalise them by not thinking about them too much.
1: Mm -hmm. I did like that he kind of demanded that necklace from Rose, but it turned out that he was always planning on giving it back to her.
0: Yeah, I did like that. So I think he's the kind of character it would have been very easy to just make a two-dimensional villain, where he was always plotting against them, and like he never did a good thing. But in moments, I did sense there was genuine... Like appreciation for them and he kind of enjoyed their company mm-hmm. and in some ways he's like a funny interesting guy so he's not a character you hate he's just a character who leaves you feeling a bit uneasy
1: I suppose mm-hmm. yeah for sure I realised that I forgot to put in the notes about like the female gaze aspects of the movie but I suppose maybe we could talk about that with the shirtlessness <laughs> Oh, no! I'll talk about that now Uh, well I don't know is that the next bit well, I guess the next thing is about the force connection, which that's incorporated, here. yeah. Um, yeah,
0: no, definitely. Let's talk about that. You go. I it. just realised I, di-
1: I didn't put like a list of like examples of where the female gaze crops up, but I, I guess it's because Ryan does such a great job of permeating the whole thing with that. A lot mm. of the stories kind of fr- come from that female perspective, and that's partly because of the new female characters, but because also it's firmly asserted that it's Ray's heroine journey that's at the centre. Yes. So while Kylo is obviously a very important character, he's kind of perceived in relation to Ray's story and not the other way around. Yeah. Like, because you're growing to understand him more from her perspective.
0: Yeah. No, that's so true. And that's one of my favourite like, aspects of the movie. Like, how it's all about people seeing each other and understanding through each other's eyes. And particularly Ray understanding Kylo. And there's something very intimate about get in her perspective on that so explicitly and it's really, really well done. Yeah, so I think in relation to the whole female gaze thing it's worth talking about, um, the connection between Ray and Kylo in more detail. So unbelievably to me, seriously, I was shocked. I was shook off when I realised this was actually true. Ray and Kylo have force bond. Mm-hmm. A legitimate actual force bond, and I cannot believe it. I can't oh, believe it either, because yeah.
1: This was kind of a given in Reylo fanfiction for a long time,
0: because
1: mm. there, there were early theories from people like Shai, who we had on the show last week, that there were like, you know, parallels between Ray and Kylo and characters like Vassilor and Revan from the EU. And people picked up on this weird stuff of in the interrogation, which looked like it might be the beginning of a force bond forming. Yes. So it's been prevalent in a lot of fanfic for two years. But it was always with this thing where we were like, well, they're probably not going to go there in actual canon. Yeah. Um, Or at least if they were going to go there, it would be kind of a subtle connection and they wouldn't call it anything like that. But this is like proper Force Bond stuff that they're like seeing each each other, talking to each other, able to physically touch each other through it. Yeah. So, yeah. Very happy.
0: (laughs) It's super, super intense. And yeah, like I just... I can, it's so wonderful. And <laughs> <laughs> I am literally struggling to find words. Um, and, oh yeah, no, that's what I wanted to talk about quickly. So in the throne room scene, Snoke claims to have bridged their minds. I think that there's some truth in that, but I also think that's another example of his hubris. I think he's yeah. probably taking claim for something that was actually already there. Like, and he might have like played around with it a bit and intensified it, but I don't think he actually created it because that bond was forming before he even knew Rey was
1: there. Oh, well, yeah, I think so too. That? Yes, because you can see it in The Force Awakens. Um, mm. And, I mean, you can also see it after he's died.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that when he says that, they cut to Kylo's face. And that's not the face of... A man who looks like oh shit, this is all a lie It's the face of a man who looks like you're false. <laughs> you don't know anything. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's what it said
0: to me. <laughs> it's so amazing. But yeah, the point is that the bond is profound and it's real and yeah, I just can't believe that it's real. Because I was one of the people where I would get like an ask message about that on my Tumblr saying, Do you think Ring kind of have a force bond? And I would reply saying, love the idea, but I think it's a bit too fanfic <laughs> And nope, it's completely legitimate, and it's keen in, and it's great.
1: Yeah, I find it kind of funny how Ryan's been saying in interviews that like no theories came close, because as much as I love The Last Jedi, it's not really a new story to me. <laughs> yes. Like, I've been reading versions of the story for two years, so there's a lot of fix out there that get it pretty on the nose and not even just the force bond stuff but a lot of the tropes that they use so
0: yeah i do wonder if ryan looked at tumblr i think he must have we know he has a tumblr uh, i, I don't know but she... shipping tumblr <laughs> god i mean we know the
1: story was written before the fan base existed it was out there before the force awakens even hit cinemas yes. so it wasn't a response to anything that they saw in fandom yeah um i think yeah somehow we just picked up on stuff that was there in the force awakens that ryan decided to explore further that others just haven't
0: yeah exactly Um, so we were always a niche but yeah our niche just so happened to hit the bullseye sorry that's not arrogant at all um but yeah do you want to talk a bit about the force bond in relation to the female gaze and how we see so much of it through race perspective Kirsty?
1: sure i mean we really do right um I feel like, don't most of the interactions, you start out with Ray and then you see Kylo reacting to it? Yes. So it I is think it's her,
0: always like that.
1: Yeah, it's an insight into how she is changing her opinion of him over time.
0: Mm. And
1: how she gets these different glimpses into his life that human, humanise him on these different levels. Because it's not like she ever peeks in and sees him killing someone or anything, you know? Yeah. He's never like actively being a villain in those moments. There are always quiet moments where he's like pondering or like looking out at something or being healed or, you know, being in his bedroom, shirtless, getting ready to go to bed.
0: <laughs> it's, I'm so happy that she didn't catch him in any more compromising situations. That'd well, they've really got to keep really
1: it awkward. They've got to keep it PG 13.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for fan fiction, I guess.
1: I think they went about as far as they could. Yeah. To get the no, it was already so suggestive. <laughs> It is because, it, yeah, it it kind of forces them both to confront this intimacy that the bond is creating between them because it doesn't seem like they can control when they drop in. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like another version of the unmasking scene that she's confronted with his physicality and doesn't really know how to react. Yeah,
0: exactly. Her first instinct is to ask him to cover up,
1: <laughs> which is really
0: adorable. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, those scenes, they're so well done. And I love the simplicity of the technique they use to convey that connection between the characters. (laughs) Um, There's a quote from Ryan about this in the Art of Book, um, which I can probably find if I care to look for it, but I don't have it to hand. Um, And yeah, it was just all done in the simplest possible way, just by cross-cutting between the characters as if they were in the same room. And I think that was such a brilliant choice because I think they're trying to do it with like a portal effect or like added like an iridescent light around them or something like that. I think all of that would have just distracted from the characters and the actors' performances. Mm-hmm. And so instead, you just have these two people and you trust them to be able to do what they need to do to sell this connection. Right. And they're so great and they have such fantastic chemistry that they do it like in amazing fashion
1: yeah i was predictably the shirtless one is the, the thing that's got the most con- um attention in the media and on the internet um but i found this interesting article in the huffington post where they're talking about the shirtless moment but it's in relation to the force connection and what it conveys in terms of the story mm-hmm. um so i'll just read it out here um co-sound supervisors matthew wooden wood and Ren kleiss Isn't that cool that someone's called Wren?
0: That's a great name, yeah. (laughs) And
1: told HuffPost, there's a deeper meaning behind the shirtless scene. It's all about that force connection. The way in which director Ryan Johnson decided to create the force connection by just simply doing vertical cuts without using any CG. It's pure simplicity in terms of filmmaking with visual cuts. We cut to her side, we cut to Kylo Ren, we cut to her and back and forth, as explained. Simply put, the sound supervisor explained that Kylo appears son's shirt in order to show that Rey could see him while the two were force-connected. That was important to establish what she was actually seeing, Klai said. Was she hearing his voice or seeing his face or just his eyes? And so that shirtless scene is to inform the audience, oh, she can see his body. Klai added, it's also good humour. Last Jedi editor Bob Dugse... Am I saying that right? I don't know. I don't know, but good luck. <laughs> ...further explained... The Force Connection to HuffPost, reiterating that it was intended to be handled as if they were in the same room together, even though they're not. Duxay said Klycer's explanation was exactly right. Kylo was shirtless to show what Ray could see during the Force Connection. Over the course of those sequences, you come to understand all the rules of the Force Connection, he said. Ultimately, it's just good storytelling if the audience is learning things at the same time the characters they're following are, instead of ahead or behind." So that to me, again, they're talking about how you're uncovering things as they are and really because it's from Ray's perspective as well, like how she's perceiving him and what she can see.
2: Mm. It
1: all kind of drives home the emphasis on the female gaze throughout the film, uh, which I so appreciate. Like that's one of the big reasons I got so invested in the sequel trilogy was because I saw that from The Force Awakens. And even though we have male directors and male writers, I feel like they're doing such a great job of telling the story from Ray's perspective.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And I really trust them. They know what they're doing with it. It's so great. I do find those quotes funny, though, that they act like it's completely formal, like, logic based reasons for having colour appear shutters in those scenes. I like it's obviously true. Yeah. It's obviously true, but I think there's also another layer of reasoning behind that decision. Sure. <laughs> but, yeah. I think, yeah, I don't need to go into that at great length, but yeah, was well, I'm, I'm guessing
1: that those kind of people probably don't know how much they're allowed to reveal in terms of the story
0: yeah no that's true and if you're to go into it about being and if you're to go into the whole like attraction element of it then yeah that does venture into like plot territory you should really talk about characters and character dynamics and relationships and stuff
1: yeah it, but it hints at that in the same way I think because it's showing us that it matters what Ray sees of him yeah No, that's true.
0: I can't get over the fact that in their first full spawn scene together, Kaido's like, I can only see you (laughs) because she can see his surroundings, but he can only see her. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something so beautifully profound about that because it's like, I only have eyes for you. (laughs) It's so extra. (laughs) It's like, ah. Yeah, I feel
1: like a lot of his lines kind of emphasize a fixation. Um, Yeah we saw kind of established in the force awakens but he's fascinated by her
0: yeah it was really continued in a big way what's your favorite force bond scene between them i think it has to be the
1: hand touching one same because that's really the moment where everything changes and yeah. just the way it's shot and the way that they focus in on the fingers actually as they're about to touch and then the way that they react to that yeah it's really a turning point for them yeah like, it's, it's really really beautiful And I love how it's both
0: really physical yet also very mystical because it's all about that moment of physical connection. Yet it's also revealed later on that it's also so much about what was revealed to them in that moment in the form of their visions. Mm -hmm. And obviously the nature of those visions is very, very ambiguous. And I really hope they're picked up again in episode nine, to be honest, because I find that whole concept so fascinating. But yeah, like the fact that they touch and then this triggers like visions of the future and they both see themselves with each other and it's this whole question of like destiny and soulmates and that sort of thing and oh it's so profoundly moving to me and just the whole way it's constructed and filmed and lit like the fact that as soon as ray starts reaching out her hand to him and it's so important that she reaches out first because she's the one who wants that physical connection with him and then he accepts it. And the fact that he takes the glove off his hand, that's so powerful. And that says so much without explicitly stating anything. Mm-hmm. And I love it because then, of course, at the end, when Kylo offers his hand in the throne room after Snoke has been killed, then he has the glove on. Because like, it embodies the different state of mind the character is in at that point. And oh, it's also great.
1: Yeah. I mean... Obviously, a key reason why the Force Bond has been so popular as an idea in radio fan fiction before it was even confirmed in canon was because it's such a great plot device to feasibly allow the characters to develop that intimacy pretty quickly, right? Because I think the Act 2 plot takes place maybe over three days mm. based on how many sets you see. So yeah. really, that's not very much time, especially because it happens right after The Force Awakens. But yes. It's a really great way to show that Ray feels this intense empathy with him because they're seeing each other in this way. Um, yes. So, yeah, it quickly fosters that compassion between them. Um, and I don't know, there's now all this debate going on about, because the film is ambiguous, as we were warned, um, I feel like there's going to be kind of this discourse now about how maybe Kylo was using Ray, But mm-hmm. I feel like the way Snoke talks about it at the end, it's pretty clear that Snoke was using them both. Yeah. Like, Snoke was even stoking Kylo's conflict. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't think Kylo even has it in himself to manipulate someone like that over a long period of time.
0: Yeah, it's like there's the Vanity Fair article from Joanna Robinson, and I think she describes Kylo as like a sexy emo honeypot for Mm -hmm. Rey or something, which is quite an apt description because, yeah, he's being used just as much as Rey is. He's like the bait, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because Snoke knows there's nothing like alluring about him at this point, especially not to a young girl. But there's plenty that's alluring about like Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo to a young girl like Ray. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, he exploits their connection to that end. But then of course the great thing is that they won't let themselves be manipulated, and they're not his playthings. And yeah, they prove that to him in a very powerful and definitive way, <laughs> to put it mildly.
1: Yeah, sure. Oh, it's so
0: awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so with going on from the whole Force Bond thing, obviously the Force Bond, it's romantic. And I really do think it's indisputable at this point. And I think it's especially indisputable because we actually have a quote from Mark Hamill where he literally calls it romantic. So this is Mark Hamill talking to Kiss FM on December 14th. There's that sort of tension, that romantic tension between Daisy, uh, you know, Ray, and my naughty nephew Kylo. I call him Ben. I still think of him as Ben. It's titillating, because girls like the bad boys for some reason. <laughs> I love that he has like such a dad esque explanation of it. It's very appropriate both to Mark and Luke.
1: It is appropriate to Luke, right? I think like he almost is talking about it from his character's perspective because you know we were talking about the hand holding scene before Luke literally bursts in on them and like yells stop like it's (laughs) pretty on the nose for what that's supposed to be alluding to yeah like the idea of all girls like the bad boys it is like something that this disapproving father would say
0: yeah she smuggled a boy into her hut yeah (laughs) stop it like seriously I'm never ever going to recover from the fact that smut hut actually happened in a manner of (laughs) speech Because, like, basically we had the rumour of the exploding hut, like, in May 2016, I think, so about 18 months ago, and completely vindicated. Boffin Spy, you legend, I love you, I adore you, you're my personal spoiler hero, and I will follow you wherever you go on your travels. Sorry, that's not creepy, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically because of that rumour, which was to the effect of Ray and Kylo are having a conversation Luke doesn't like, Luke explodes the hut and that was like the substance of the rumour based purely on that Raylos obviously jumped onto it and lots of people were joking around about oh what does Luke discover them doing in the hut but I don't think any of us seriously expected that I would go like that and it totally does because obviously it's not like they're actually like kissing or doing anything more physical shall we say but they are clearly having a romantic moment in there. Is a moment of extreme intimacy, connection, and tenderness, and yeah, we know exactly what that's evoking, and yeah, I just cannot even in the best way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so incoherent. I just so no you're not such a high from this film. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, that. Yeah, it's. I think it's great that you get kind of Luke's perspective because it makes sense. Like. He's warning Ray to stay away from Kylo, right? Um, he's telling her not to go for him. Yes. Um, and he's not ready at that point to give up his side of the story in terms of what really happened. Like, she forces it out for him. Like, yeah. she confronts him pretty violently. So it's, yeah, it's Luke kind of afraid of his role in that story as well.
0: Exactly. And I think it's so fascinating because... In that moment when Kylo and Ray are linking hands, that is not framed remotely as like a sinister or negative moment. It's framed as something really beautiful. Yeah, doesn't that romantic?
1: It, what's the music that plays when they touch? Is it the Force Theme or Binary Sunset or something?
0: Oh, I think it's the Force Theme. Okay. Yeah, don't quote me on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very hopeful because the way that they react, because she's obviously very upset talking about like the cave scene and how she feels alone and um, just kind of lost in terms of what she thought she was going to find. And then she didn't. Um, Mm. And then there's this moment where they reach out and they're telling each other, like, you're not alone. So it's, it's definitely not um, portrayed as something that she needs to stay away from. Like she's, she's putting herself in danger when she goes, goes to him. And we'll talk about like the, pretty on the nose symbolism of her sending herself to him in a coffin <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yes yeah that's very mythological but mm. it's not presented as something that she shouldn't do in my opinion unless you're looking at it from luke's perspective which yeah. as a young woman i'm not going to <laughs> so <laughs> yeah because i'm following ray's story and i believe in her so
0: yeah no exactly and i think that's part of what Luke comes to understand as well because instinctively in that moment he's terrified because, of course, his recollections of Ben Solo slash Kaido Ren, they're just laced with like, grief and regret and anguish. So, of course, he's not going to be happy to see them linking hands over a fire. But, yeah, I think as the movie goes on and he like, is reminded of how these things go and is given that wisdom by Yoda, then he realises Okay. Yeah, I can be more zen about this now. I don't need to have these freak outs about Ray and my naughty nephew. It's all going to be okay in the end. So, yeah, he reconciles with it, and it's beautiful. Um, right. Where do we go next, Kirsty?
1: Um. Well, we have these interviews from Ryan. These snippets about like why he made certain choices.
0: Oh. Okay. Cool. Do you want to read the first one?
1: Sure. Um. So these are from Business Insider. Um, Ryan talking about his choice to kill Snoke. Snoke's fate came entirely out of Kylo's arc and realizing that in this movie, the most interesting thing to me was for Kylo to be ascendant, to start by knocking the shaky foundation out from Kylo's feet and then building him back up into a complicated but credible villain by the end of it. And one that Ray now has a more complex relationship with than just, I hate you, I want to kill you. Mm -hmm. And once I kind of landed on that, it quickly became evident that, okay, what is Snoke's place in this? if I build Kylo up to that point, the most interesting thing to carry into the next movie is Kylo running things, not any echo of the emperor people relationship. And you realize the dra- dramatic potential of that. And it just makes a lot of sense from the story point of view.
0: Mm. Yeah. He's so right. Everything he, he, he says is. is so right.
1: <laughs> it's very interesting because it's something that I think has shocked a lot of people because they were expecting a model that was similar to the original trilogy, but looking at the story that's being told, it makes sense because maybe it's got kind of confused in all of the Snoke theory shuffling, but he was just a tool in Kylo's story and he wasn't really even relevant to Mm. Ray. You know, if you'd like explained a turn about where Snoke comes, comes from and everything, we've had this problem where we've been talking about lots of the various Snoke theories. It's like, how do you connect him to Ray? Why should she care? Yeah. She only cares about him in relation to how he's um, taking advantage of Kylo.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Which is why he needed to go, basically, because he's not relevant, like you say. Yeah. There's no personal connection there other than, ooh, he's a creepy, ugly, Gollum-like dude. Whereas now there is so, so much going on between Kylo and Rey, and that really does leave like any avenue open to J.J. for episode 9. It's a real gift to J.J. as a storyteller, to be honest, because wherever it goes from here, I think it would be very hard to make it boring. To make it boring, you'd basically have to undo all the good work that Ryan has done and say, oh no, despite everything that happened, Rey is now convinced that Kylo is completely evil and Kylo just hates Rey and wants to destroy her. The point of The Last Jedi is that the characters move beyond that. Ray's starting point in The Last Jedi is Ah and I'm gonna fire a blaster at you and Kylo's You're gonna pay for what you did. Yeah. Which exactly. he will. Yeah. And like the whole point of like Kylo's like scene with Luke is he's gonna I'm gonna destroy her and <laughs> and Luke's like, No you're not. <laughs> he doesn't actually say that, but he says something that's equivalent to that and yeah. So, they're not going to have this simplistic, antagonistic relationship. I'm sure there'll be elements of that, especially towards the beginning, and I'd expect to see that played up in the promotion for episode nine. Though, who knows? I said the same thing about episode eight, and look what we got. Um, I'm excited
1: about it because I do think it points to another duel between them, which mm. uh, I was kind of looking forward to in episode eight. But, you know, the the Praetorian Guard fight was fantastic, and I loved seeing them fight together. But I wouldn't mind another showdown. (laughs)
0: Yeah, the best thing for me would be have one duel of Rey versus Kylo, and then one duel, no, it wouldn't even be a duel, and then one fight where they're working together again. Because best of both worlds, man. (laughs) I'm greedy, okay?
1: (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I think this is so much more compelling if you look at the stakes going into the last Jedi. They're so huge, because... yeah. I don't even know like from the audience perspective it's like where do you even go from here that is um, now big bad and yeah he has this incre- it, like really really intense dynamic with Rey that's not yeah. going to be just kind of swept under the rug
0: exactly so
1: how does that even play out
0: yeah one of the most interesting questions for me is what sort of leader is Kylo Ren going to become based on his experiences in The Last Jedi you know, oh. How is he going to lead the First Order? Like, right now, I struggle to even begin to envisage that.
1: Yeah. I don't am. <laughs> like, again, that is on... exciting. That is exciting, you know? <laughs> yeah, just based on how things go on Crate, not well. <laughs> but we'll see. I really assume that he has to get better.
0: He has to pull himself together to some degree, otherwise he's not going to last five minutes.
1: If Ryan's calling him a credible villain, which... I'm not sure about to be honest maybe it's too late for me maybe I just can't find Carlos Gary um, uh, but yeah we'll see uh, I, I'll be interested to see how they build him up again because you've taken away all that mystery from the Force Awakens Kylo marketing right
0: mm. exactly that's all been stripped back Kylo better not put the damn mask back on don't do it JJ <laughs> don't do I it it's happening no, I do think the scene where he bashes it against the wall of the elevator is very um, definitive, shall we say. Right, so we're going to lean towards wrapping things up now because we've been talking for a while and it's getting quite late where I am in the good old country of England. Um, yeah, so we have a ni- another nice little quote here about the throne room scene in particular. I was wondering if you could talk about that, Kirsty.
1: Sure. Um so they ask Ryan, give me the one scene or shot in The Last Jedi that regardless of how many times you've seen it, you're pretty impressed that you would pulled it off. Ryan says, it was an early image that I had. I really love that slow motion shot of Kylo and Rey back to back with the guards coming from all the sides in Snow's chambers. And look, there were a lot of people who went into it, to design the space and the guards, the stunt work. But that was a moment that I had just always held dear to me. And it's one of those very rare things where the realisation of it on screen, I just feel like, oh, we got it. It makes me happy.
0: (laughs) It makes me happy too.
1: Yeah, I really like that he's telling us that it was from the early days that he'd pictured Ray and Kylo teaming up for that moment. Yeah. Um, Because that must have been... I mean, when did they start pre-production on The Last Jedi? Uh, 2014, I think. Yeah, so that's a long time in the making. Um, yeah. So to, to finally be able to share that with people must be so exciting.
0: Yeah, it must be so such a relief to finally be able to just openly talk about this stuff. After so much, like, shuffling around things. It's like, I love the Colbert interview with Adam. <laughs> and at that moment where he, they take out the dolls of Ray and Kylo and they literally make them kiss. I haven't watched it
1: yet.
0: <laughs> you haven't watched it?
1: I've seen GIFs.
0: Oh my goodness! You should watch it. It's so adorable, and he just has the most like enchanted smile on his face. Like he's like, yeah, <laughs> finally. Like <laughs> so he knows he's reaching the end of just of just this ridiculous, like facade. This ridiculous like game of like pretending not to talk about anything and pretending not to know anything. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, finally I'm free. And yeah, I'm sure Ryan feels exactly the same. I love the joy that he talks about his movie with. It's really nice.
1: Yeah, and that slow-mo shot really is stunning. And it's always oh, when it's you wonderful. can hear the audience start to clap as they're realising what's going on.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think for me, in the premiere audience, the moment that saw everyone like break out into applause, just like a whole tidal wave of applause, was... After the moment when Snoke has been sliced in half, which is an incredible thing to say, and the lightsaber goes to Rey and her hand reaches up to grab it. Mm -hmm. Like everyone started applauding and they kept on applauding right up until that moment where they're back to back and fighting the guards. And oh, it's just glorious.
1: Yeah, because what I really love about that is that Kylo's the one controlling the saber. So he's bringing it towards Rey and allowing her to grab it. Like That's what he intends for her to do. Yeah. So it's a very conscious yes we are doing this together thing.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And it's about establishing Harris as equal. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's some like helpless damsel. It's about no we're fighting together. I trust you. And, I think it, yeah. it's
1: all the more heartbreaking in hindsight when you think about where it's going after that because all of that mm-hmm. build up is from each of the characters perspective because they think that they're going to be together in these two very different ways. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like wait you are not on the same page. and This is going to go badly. Yeah.
0: oh, it's So beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: I love it. Um, right. I think we probably need to wrap it up here. There is so much left to say about this movie.
1: We've... I know. I have a ton more notes here. Yeah. We we've got, got loads
0: before. more notes. We've also got loads of emails, which oh, really? I also want to get okay. to at some point. Yeah. Okay. And we will, but it's just going to take a while. We obviously have Christmas coming up. Um, And that's both a blessing and a curse because while I have lots of time off for Christmas, which is awesome, um, we obviously both have other obligations for Christmas. Yeah, it might also
1: be nice to take a little bit of a break so that we can let the film breathe and do some writing and figure out what else we want to talk about
0: yeah exactly because right now just talking like this i feel like it's all still so chaotic in my mind like i know we're
1: still jumping all over the place people must be a bit like
0: (laughs) okay can you stick to one topic please like calm down dear (laughs) um but yeah this is it for now i'm not sure this will be our last podcast of 2017 god that feels so weird to say but just in case it is Happy New Year everyone and Merry Christmas and may the force be with us all. I don't think I needed that slightly trepidatious warning in the last podcast with just the two of us that we did because I said that in a state of high nervousness because I was just so afraid of what might be to come because it could have been anything, you know, I didn't realistically think it could be but... All of my predictions could have been horribly wrong and I could have been horribly disappointed. Not saying that my enjoyment of the film was predicated on my predictions being right, but it helped, okay? <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. So I do, yeah. I do feel for people who were strongly attached to certain ideas that didn't come to fruition. Yes. Um, what I resent is the way people then, and again, it's not everyone, it's a small minority, channel that disappointment into anger that's like directed at the creator's that's yeah. just not cool but. exactly
0: it's not good form anyhow i am rachel you can find me at stars nonsense on tumblr and at journal of the Wars on wordpress where can people find you Kirsty?
1: i'm Basilabay bay on tumblr and scavengers horde on twitter
0: thank you so much for listening and until next time bye
1: bye